If you have kids or pets, you know stains and odors in your carpet and upholstery are inevitable. But the experts at ChemDry can help. ChemDry removes odors and stubborn stains by sending millions of carbonating bubbles deep within your carpet. ChemDry lifts dirt, urine, and stains to the surface to then be extracted away, giving you a cleaner and healthier home. Call 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com to connect with your local ChemDry and learn about special offers in your area. That's 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show. We begin today with CDC Director Rochelle Walensky continuing to tell a wildly misleading study that the CDC knows has been discredited as a reason why millions of children across the country should be masked indefinitely. On December 17th, we interviewed journalist David Zweig. He writes for The Atlantic, New York Magazine, among others, uh, regarding his months long investigation into the study published by the CDC in September. Okay, it suggested the study did that schools in Arizona that did not mandate masking were three and a half times more likely to have covid outbreaks. This appeared to confirm the CDC's the CDC's own obsession with masking and the agency's director, Walensky, was quick to promote it nonstop all over the news. We also uh, published a study out of Arizona that demonstrated that uh, places that had no masks in place were three and a half times more likely to have mm-hmm. outbreaks than places that did have masks in place. To a study that was done in Arizona, uh, published on Friday, that demonstrated that in jurisdictions that had um, masking early in their school year this year, were three and a half times less likely to have outbreaks in the school. But the study that you're referring to in Arizona demonstrated that schools that had masks were three and a half times less likely to have a school outbreak than schools that didn't have masks. We have new science. You see, it it goes on and on. But David Zweig, having dug into the previous studies touted by the CDC on masks and found them wanting, had questions. Three and a half times is a huge factor. Not even the previous, albeit largely unsound, studies touting masking had suggested that masks make a difference that big. So he decided to investigate the study's methodology. And here are a few highlights, highlights of what he found. One, the study cited more schools than exist in the counties observed. Mm. It compared schools that were open for three or four weeks with some that were open just two weeks. In other words, how do we know if a no mask mandate school, a more free school that saw more covid cases had an uptick because of its no mask mandate policy or simply because it had say, two extra weeks of classes factored into the results than the fully masked schools did. If I want to compare one school for 30 days that didn't have any masks with a school uh, over one day that had masks on, guess how it's going to turn out? (laughs) The school that's open 30 days is going to have more COVID cases. That doesn't say anything about masks. The study 
even cited masking data from schools that were still in virtual learning. Okay, I'm sure that a school the children never step foot into, but which happens to have a mask mandate, is very effective at stopping the spread of COVID. One scientist David spoke to called the study so unreliable that it probably should not have been entered into the public discourse at all. Walensky's team knows all about David's investigation. Again, this is not a Fox News partisan host or even straight news journalist that they can easily dismiss as of the right wing. He's not. He's been a straight shooter right down the middle from the beginning of this, and they're trying to blow him off. He says they were made well aware of his findings. His article made major headlines. And when he asked them to explain why they are touting this study, despite its obvious and serious flaws, they went dark on him. So did Walensky or the CDC retract or update their findings? No. Did Walensky at least quietly stop talking about it? No. Instead, this week, she promoted it again during a U.S. Senate hearing. We have new science that has demonstrated the value of masking. Three and a half times increased risk of school outbreaks if you're masking, if you're unmasked in schools versus if you're masking in schools. She can't stop herself. Meanwhile, she's wearing 40 masks for people who aren't watching this. I mean, she's she's mummified her face. <laughs> David Zweig is back with me now. Um, it's crazy. These people are like, ah, OK. Um, a lot of masks, a lot of masks. <laughs> when you heard her do that once again at a Senate hearing, no less, mention this discredited study. What was your reaction? I was, I guess, a combination of astonished yet also not surprised considering the track record that's happened thus far. It's um I have a couple sources inside the CDC. And to me, the main thing I'm trying to find out is, does she actually not know what's going on? Or does she know and is, you know, making some sort of strategic or political decision to continue to cite a finding from a study that I think any reasonable scientist or academic would say is widely discredited at this point? Mm-hmm. Would have abandoned by now. What what light, if any, does it shed on your query? Um, watching her with Brett Baer this past Sunday, dodging and weaving on just calling out Sonia Sotomayor, which even the left wing fact checkers have been willing to do, falsely asserting that 100,000 children are in the hospital because of COVID right now. Yeah, I, I think there's something that is deeply unsettling when you see someone who is ostensibly grounded in being a scientist communicate in a manner that we typically would associate with a politician. And I think as Americans, we need to think about and decide, is the CDC itself a political organization? And is the head of the CDC essentially a politician? Or is this person a scientist and trying to communicate the science to the American public, because those things together don't seem to be working right now. Mm -hmm. There was a question when you last came on about um, 
just how far she'd gone in defending that three and a half times number. And we played this soundbite between Rochelle Walensky and Chris Hayes of MSNBC, where she went even further. You had given her maybe a little wiggle room. Let's see that she went even further. And it was a stunning moment. I want to play it for the audience who had who hadn't seen that exchange. You should go back and look at our interview with David on December 17th. Um, but this is um, the, the longer soundbite, Deb, where we've got uh, Chris Hayes pressing her and what she says. OK, listen. The study that you're referring to in Arizona demonstrated that schools that had masks were three and a half times less likely to have a school outbreak than schools that didn't have masks. Just as a to follow up, are, are we sure that's not a correlation issue and not a causation, which is to say, like, there's higher levels of community transmission mission in the school districts that are also the ones most inclined to not have a masking policy? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. No. And and that's actually been studied as well. And we've examined those correlations for exactly the concern you raise. This is an independent effect of masks. That that wasn't true. And did you ever follow up with them? And did they ever give you a response as to why she said something? I mean, that not even the study's authors, I think, were claiming that that was the case. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, they stopped responding to me after a while. In fact, my editor at The Atlantic had to start communicating uh, with the authors and with a uh, with that PR person at um, Arizona State University where um, the lead author um, is located because they they wouldn't even reply to me, which to me, when I talk about it in the article, or at least you and I had spoken about this, which is that's the thing that I find in some regards the most troubling is that Again, a public health agency, if nothing else, should be based in transparency. This is not part of the security apparatus. This is not the CIA. You know, we're talking about they're supposed to be for us, the people. And they were presented with very clear evidence of significant discrepancies. Not This is not about a pesky journalist bothering them. This is not about scientists quibbling over um, the methodology. These are significant discrepancies in the numerical, you know, in the statistics of the study that I found from the state of Arizona and from the county of Arizona that were very, very different from what from what was in the study. And they wrote back to me and said, there are no errors. We're done. Right. Okay. I'm definitely going to use that approach in my future journalistic uh, matters. If I ever make a mistake, I'm just going to say, I didn't, I didn't, I don't care what you say, whatever you say, I don't care who you are. Um, You pointed out in your original article on this, when it comes to, well, did they rule out other explanations for the increased spread in the schools that don't require masks? That's basically, Chris Hayes was kind of saying, you know, did you rule out the fact that in a community that doesn't require masks, maybe there's a lower vaccination rate? That's basically what he's saying. You know, like maybe it's a community in South Florida where it's a bunch of Republicans who don't see these issues the way Chris and Rochelle do. And that's when she said, absolutely not, that, that that's not it. We factored all that in and we still got three and a half times, which isn't true. Just to be clear, that was not true. But you put out your original article. You, you cited a guy, Jason Abelock, economics professor at Yale, who was the lead investigator on a 340,000 person randomized trial of masking in Bangladesh, who called this study ridiculous. You write for failing to control for the vaccinations vaccination status of s- staff or students. Um, and why would that have mattered? I mean, explain. Chris Hayes is saying, did you just look at like the community's attitude co- toward covid or anything? You know, but this is talking about specifically vaccinations. Why would that have mattered? Well, I mean, anytime you're studying 
the, the incidence of something, you need to look at what factors are going to affect that. These, these are different confounding variables. So when you're looking at the incidence of cases or specifically for this study, what they called outbreaks, which is just two or more um, cases, is that, of course, the vaccination status of the staff and of the students is going to impact um, the degree of, of outbreaks in the school. Um, moreover, certainly, they also of, didn't control... certainly last summer it would have. Right now, yes, not so exactly. much. Now it's very, very good point. Right. With Omicron, not so much. But back when the study was conducted, that certainly was a significant factor. And on top of that, they also didn't account for the change in community rates over time. Um, so, I mean, it's it's such a long list of things. And I think, as you noted in the, in the beginning, they also included more than 40 schools that literally don't exist. They were virtual schools. It was uh, like a like a Votec program for, you know, metal work or automotive repair, things of that nature that are not schools. This was a program, a class you could take in your regular high school, yet they listed that as its own school. And they did that more than 40 times. The question is. How does that affect the results of the study? And the answer is no one knows because they've refused from day one all the way to now to release their data set. No one knows where, how they put all this data together because they won't let us see it. Mm. Um, it's getting nuts. And the, and Walensky, Walensky and others are trying to ramp up the masks now rather than dial them back in any way, just at, at a point where a lot of us are at the breaking point in the masks. Um, n- the news now is that the CDC is getting ready to recommend N95 or KN95 masks for everyone if you can tolerate it. So I'm like, great, I can't, bye. But more and more schools are already saying we have to. We're seeing it pop up in district after district saying, well, college level, saying the kids have to wear KN95s or N95 masks. What are your CDC contacts saying about that? Are we about to get that push? Because sometimes it starts with a with a suggestion and it turns into a mandate. I can tell you that a number of infectious disease doctors who I'm, I'm in a little text group with with a bunch of them are not pleased about this and that exactly as you indicated everything about omicron suggests to these people that it's time to start winding things down not ramping them up and it's sort of that you know be careful what you wish for we finally got the sort of um mainstream public health establishment with people like leanna Wen finally coming out and saying Cloth masks, they don't work. Um, they really, you know, at best are marginally affected. This is something that we've known for a for a very long time. People like Michael Osterholm and others had been mentioning it, but it was kind of tamped down. But it's finally kind of reached the mainstream. Now, I thought when we found out that, you know, it was finally made made known that they aren't particularly effective. Well, I assume that meant, okay, so we don't have to make kids wear masks anymore. They're not working. I hadn't fully anticipated that the that it would be the opposite direction. Oh, since those don't work, now we need children wearing masks that are designed for healthcare professionals and you know specific uh, workers in particular professions. You know where you have to have these things fit tested. Um, it's it's kind of alarming. Once again, we are the outlier in many regards to many other yeah. nations around it's the world. It's the mask you would wear if you went to visit Chernobyl about two decades ago. Um, and there, I said this on Twitter and I say it right here, there is zero chance of me wearing an N95 or KN95 mask and zero chance of me putting one of those on my kids. I, this is a hill 
I wish to die on. And I won't die because I've been double vaxxed and had a booster and my kids aren't going to die either because they're healthy and they don't need the vaccine. I haven't gotten it for them yet. I haven't totally ruled it out. But my point is they don't need an N95 mask. I'm not putting it on them. I refuse. And I am not alone because I saw something extraordinary on CNN, on CNN with Erin Burnett, who is probably, I, I definitely think she's less crazy than some of the other anchors there. Um, her sin was never that she was sort of a hard left wing partisan. It was as just kind of a little milk toasty. But anyway, fine. I respect her. I like Erin Burnett. She seems like a perfectly fine person. Um, and she had on a doctor to talk about masking. I think I think he's a doctor from Harvard. Watch the clip. So uh, your tweet says, quote, eight degrees in Boston, no outdoor activities at school. My nine year old, Quote, so no mask breaks today? That's worse than freezing. Then you continue. Don't tell me two years of masking doesn't impact kids. The risk is low. Vaccines avail for all adults and kids. Anyone who wants can mask. It's time. And the hard data I'm referring to here is on the risk to kids that has been consistent since day one. Their risk is low. New data out of New York State during the peak of the Omicron surge shows that child hospitalization rates are on the order of one in 100,000 if you're unvaccinated. If you're vaccinated, a child's risk is on the order of two to three per million. These are low rates. On top of that, adults, all teachers and staff had had 10 months or more to get vaccinated and take the precaution they need to. I, we're coming up on two years of disrupted school, kids in masks, to think there's no harm there or no loss in socialization, no impact, I think is incorrect. We've been prioritizing adults at the expense of kids. That guy is the head of Harvard School of Public Health. So, yay. Uh, It makes me have a little hope, David, that, you know, as I said last Monday uh, in in an opening monologue that's that's gone viral. There's reason to hope the the center left is starting to break away from the far left who are really leaning into their covid fear and realize we don't need to be doing this craziness anymore. Yeah, um, Joe Allen, that's who who's in that clip. He's been really great. And he's been at, you know, the forefront of this for, you know, in the sort of mainstream public health community. So um, it's great that he he has such a platform and a voice. I think, you know, and I'm familiar with the data he's he's talking about where it really is. It's something like 0.3 per 100,000, which, you know, equates to like three per million um, if a kid is vaccinated. And, and that gets to the heart of the issue, I think, Megan, which is Reasonable people could have disagreed um, in the beginning of the pandemic whether or not it made sense to wear masks and do all sorts of other mitigation measures. But the reason why I believe that's not necessarily a reasonable debate anymore is that these are what are known as temporizing measures. These are things that delay um, the inevitable. And once vaccines came out and all the adults were able to protect themselves and children who already were at an incredibly a risk lower than the vaccinated adults, they could protect themselves even more. Once the vaccines came out, now we are just delaying things. These are just temporizing measures. So we have to ask ourselves or ask officials, what are we delaying this for? Initially, you delay because we're waiting for the, the magic bullet for the, um, not the best metaphor, but we're waiting for, mm-hmm. for the vaccines to come. But once we have that, what, what else are we pushing for? And this, these are the conversations I'm having with a lot of the experts I know, you know, off the record and behind the scenes is people are starting to say, we need to figure out how to unwind this thing because 
We are not going to stop it. You could close the school for a day. You could close the school for a week. The virus isn't going to wait and then disappear. It's there. It's not going away. So we need to figure out how to function as a society. Now, perhaps some people would like to live in a society where kids are wearing masks all the time to reduce you know, or at least theoretically reduce the risk. That's not a society that I would like to live in. You know, I don't want my kids to be harmed. I don't want other kids to be harmed. But part of living is carrying some degree of risk. And to me, I, I'm willing to have a low-grade fever for a few days, uh, you know, once a year or whatever it is, if it means that I don't have to wear a mask every day. And same. I certainly would hope the same for my kids. And he was pointing out that... um if the the data show if you wear a mask, if you want to wear one of those lunatic masks, go right ahead, because the studies do show that they're effective at protecting you. I don't right. have to wear one to protect you. And whether I'm vaccinated or unvaccinated, I can spread this virus. So it's at the point now where if you want to prevent yourself or your child, if you're that paranoid about it, you can slap one of those on your kid's face. I won't do it. Honestly, I don't I'll come up with another plan. I don't know what it is, but, you know, you you know, your lines. And uh, I'll tell a story that I told David privately because um, I texted him with this story. But I'll tell you, kids have had it, including my own. Uh, so my little eight year old got in a bit of trouble last week because he went to school, second grade, and he 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 took off his mask. He just took it off. He's had it. I mean, he's had almost no school history without a mask on. He was in kindergarten when this damn thing broke. Now he's in second grade. And he's still got the face covering. And so he just took it off. And the teacher said, Thatcher, you have to wear your mask. And do you know what he said, America? He said, the CDC did a study of 90,000 children in Georgia that showed that masks do nothing. <laughs> And so she sent him to the principal's office <laughs> and my I, little he, Norma Ray. I could have little... him as an assistant. If he's looking to get into journalism, you know, he and I, we should talk, right? <laughs> if he wants to dig into some more studies with me. It's sad yeah. to me, David, because it's like I did. I had to round back to him and I had to tell him, Thatcher, I have to tell you, I think what you did was kind of badass. But <laughs> the next time we're right. going to have to make the argument with the mask on, because right now I need you in school. Yes. You need to be in school. We don't have another um, option. Yeah. It's it's infuriating, but it's also somewhat exciting. <laughs> right. Yes. They're, they're, that's the weird thing. When you look at your kids, you sort of want them to be courageous and rebel, but yet you also not not too much necessarily. <laughs> so there's there's that balance of pride and a little bit of like, that's great. But, you know, dial it back next yes. time. I will yes. say this, you know, I can, I'll, I'll give you a nice epilogue to it. Um, I had a very nice exchange with the school about it. Like they were actually really cool and they they saw it too and they understood where the kids are. And, you know, they're under a mandate from the governor. So there's only right. so much they can do. It's the governor we need to be writing our letters to here in Connecticut and so on. Anyway, um, I, I've That's been right. laughing and sending yeah. pictures of Norma Ray, Sally Field, if you haven't seen the movie with the union sign, <laughs> my mm -hmm. relatives. <laughs> David, right. it's a right. pleasure. Thanks for having me, Megan. Anytime. See you soon. Okay, coming up, we are joined by someone. He's like a J.D. Vance, although not quite as conservative. Uh, and he's got a lot of insight into Americans uh, and why they voted for Trump or why they don't vote at all and why they're disillusioned by the system completely run by elites who have no connection to them. Right after this break, Chris Arnotti. Don't miss him. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. 
Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. To prove how little D.C. insiders know about the state of the country, this week, two of the most insane op-eds were published. The first one proposed that what Americans really need to see in the 2024 presidential race is a Joe Biden slash Liz Cheney ticket. (laughs) Okay, I just choked on my tongue. And then another by my pal Doug Schoen, who I love, um, explored why Hillary Clinton is the Democrats most viable candidate in 2024. Oh, my God. A supposed change candidate, Doug, my pal, Doug. I'm not sure what happened. Uh, What does this say about how out of touch D.C. is? My next guest probably knows better than anyone else in the country. Chris Arnotti is a writer, photographer and author of Dignity, Seeking Respect in Back Row America. Welcome, Chris. So good to have you here. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. So I love your background. I know a lot of guys like you who uh, spent a lot of time on Wall Street doing really well and then sort of became disillusioned with what's what is this all for? Is Does this have real meaning? Is this how I want to spend my life? Um, but unlike you, most of them do not then take to their car, take out the back row, start driving around to some of the poorest, most ignored communities of America to figure out why the disillusioned are disillusioned, why people who have it probably rougher than anyone in this country, don't bother to vote, why they feel loathed by pretty much everyone in the media and on the political stage. But that is what you, how you've spent your past uh, X, how many years? 12 years, 12 years, 12 years now. OK, so a dozen plus years. Um, and you divide them into the back rowers and the front rowers. And just explain that for our audience who hasn't read your book. Yeah. So uh, I, it's easier to explain in terms of what the front row is. That's basically me. Um, PhD in physics, worked on Wall Street, um, lots of education, left my home to, to, to move to New York City, um, travel all around the world, um, you know, and focus on getting, you know, focus on building a resume or had focus on getting, building a career. Um, left the church at some point, um, lots of education. Um, you know, a lot of people in the media are that, you know, you can think of lawyers, bankers, people who went to Harvard, um, Cornell, um, you know, Stanford. Um, that's the front row. You can think of the schoolroom analogy. Um, you know, the, the kid who always raised their hands and wanted to be a teacher's pet and want to get ahead through education. And then basically the back row is everybody else, which is by you could call it normies. Um, people who, you know, if they have any high school, if they have any college, it's usually community college, maybe a few, few, few years of trade school. But, you know, that's the that's the majority of people. It's the front row of people like me. We're the weirdos. Um, and so um, that's and I think that division between, you know, the front and the back between the educated, highly educated and the rest. So you can use, you know, D.C. Insider as, what, as another proxy that 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 gap 
is really what drives so much of what's going on in this country right now. Mm hmm. It's um, I mean, it definitely can help explain the Trump election in 2016. I, I know you, you've said that and you saw that coming. You were one of the few who saw that coming, um, whereas most people in the sort of mainstream press said never could never happen. Yeah. Um, but you were talking to, quote, real Americans and and describe sort of the cities that you've been going to. I know you say you, you spent years going into the McDonald's and um, the Bronx, for example, every day because that's where the folks were. And that's that's you wanted to actually understand people as opposed to doing a two week flyby like some of these, quote, in-depth magazine pieces do. They were, we're talking years of research on your part. So wh where'd you go and who are you talking to? Um, I went, you know, the back row is everywhere. It's not just, you know, I, I, as I say, you don't have to get out of the you don't have to get out of the um, Acela corridor. You just have to get off the Acela. I mean, mm -hmm. the Acela goes through a lot of back row communities. It goes, you mentioned one of them in the Bronx, Hunts Point, where I spent two and a half years. Um, it goes through, um, you know, Western Baltimore, um, yeah, Kensington, Philadelphia, and it, for instance, Anacostia, right across from the DC Insiders in Anacostia, which is uh, where I was um, four days ago walking. Um, I walked across Anacostia. Um, and uh, Indianapolis, you know, everywhere. <laughs> I went absolutely everywhere. Um, and I went into communities where people, you know, the front row um, certainly makes policy for these places, but don't actually go and interact with people. I spend a lot of time in, you know, McDonald's, Applebee's, Walmart's, you know, things that shouldn't be weird for people to do. But for the front row, that's weird. Um, and, um, you know, I just talked to people um, and I got to know them and got, got to listen to them and um, and try to write about what I saw and take pictures of what I saw to give a sense to to, to, to the other people in the front row how out of touch we are, how um, how much privilege we have, and how um, how arrogant we are, and uh, how clueless we are about the people we make policy for or we claim to know what's better for. Um, completely, yeah, a lot, lot, of, lot of folks in towns basically ruined by globalization. The factories that once made them vibrant and sources of pride have been long closed. Societies moved on. There's not a source of industry. And not only has society moved on from these towns, they've turned their noses up at them. You know, these people get categorized pretty frequently as deplorables by people like Hillary Clinton and others. But there's really no moment of stopping and thinking and looking back at them and saying, wait, how can we help? How can we help create opportunity for folks who used to enjoy it abundantly in towns where they were willing to work? Yeah, I mean, what I would say is the, the only answer they ever have is the old, you know, <laughs> learn to code <laughs> or, yeah. or move. Um, we, you know, it's like we've destroyed your community. We, we shipped your jobs overseas. We, um, we devalued everything we find meaningful, such as faith, place and family um, and nation. We, 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 we in the front row, we, we, we find these things awful. And so um, then we tell them, oh, I'm sorry, I guess just uh, now that your drug town is filling up with drugs and in despair, I guess just move or, or learn to code. And that's extraordinarily offensive on so many levels. The whole idea of just moving like, no, this is, you know, place matters to people. It's, it's some of the few things they have that really, you know, it, it, it's meaningful to them in a way that's not meaningful to the front row. Like, you know, being a, being a resident of, um, you know, of Texas or being a or having grown up in Portsmouth, Ohio, that really matters to somebody. That's 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 that defines who they are. And to say you can just get rid of that and just move someplace else, 
um, forcing people to become economic migrants in their own country because of the policies that benefit the wealthy, that's just offensive. And so, you know, and the other solution is, you know, just get more education. And, you know, not everybody wants to just get more education. It's not it's not how everybody thinks is that we should just, you know, be careerists running around building resumes. Some people just want to live life and, you know, and define themselves through things like family, faith and, and nation. Mm-hmm. It's it's crazy now because more and more our universities are a place you go to get a four year credential in liberal orthodoxy, you know, not so much to actually learn something that's going to set you up for a future career like a vocational school would be. And I what I've seen on the right half of the country is people becoming more and more reluctant to put their children into that system where they just say it's all it's going to do is turn them against me and the beliefs that I've tried to raise them with. Um, so that's an additional problem. But you're right. There's an elitist system that prizes a four year degree, something beyond that. And I do think all of this is when I when I was reading about you and listening to you and a bunch of podcasts you've done and so on. All I kept thinking about was Roger Ailes, my old boss and founder of the Fox News Channel, who was a ditch digger in Ohio back when he was a young boy. And he understood the back row, whatever his flaws. And I, I could talk to you about those, too. He understood the back row better than anyone. That's why when he hired primetime anchors, he did not want to see a Harvard credential. He loved the fact that, you know, I went to Syracuse undergrad and Albany for law school and Hannity dropped out of college and uh, O'Reilly went to Marist, though now he claims to go have gone to Harvard, but he didn't really. He did like the Harvard Kennedy thing later in life. Um, anyway, that's what he was looking for. Contrast that with what happened at NBC where everybody's got an Ivy League degree. Yeah, you know, I mean, the ability, one of, one of the lessons of my last 12 years of work and what I try, if I had to put a bumper sticker about what I think about kind of, the, you call the DC elites, I call it what, what I call it the overeducated front row is, or the political class is, they don't understand the people they make policy for. And that's really bad. Now, I think, you know, I happen to think I'm not a, like, you know, throw all the elites over the bridge because, you know, I'm an elite myself and I, I'm very open about that. And I have I want to say on the bridge. <laughs> I, I'm, um, you know, I'm very much there, there's a lot. And I think a lot of the a lot of people who are front row are good people and well-intended. Um, but I think a lot of us have gotten completely out of touch with America, completely out of touch. And I, I don't just mean that in a, you know, we, we don't we don't go into McDonald's and we just don't know what people value and how they think of themselves and how they comprehend the world. And consequently, when we make policy or we you know think. I always think about the phrase um, when it says there's a lot of when 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 a, when a party a party loses an election, the the elites and the and the parties say, well, the voters are voting against their self interest. What an arrogant phrase phrase to say. To, the, the idea that voters don't know what's best for them. The, the answer is no. Actually, <laughs> the voters are be- voting in their best interest. They, they, it's you who don't know what their best interest is. It's you who are making a. It's a very colonialist attitude. This idea that Americans somehow are voting against their best interests, like it's really fucking in, 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 insulting. And I don't think people realize how insulting it is. Oh, no, it's reflected. I mean, if you watch any cable news, it's it's evident and the and folks know it. I mean, I don't know how many of these folks are still engaged in watching cable news because it's so I, there's so much hatred for middle America and flyover country or back row, however you want to put it, um, by most of the channels. And, and in particular, when it came to Trump and in particular, um, you know, when there's an election on the line and the 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 clip that embodies it all. It's like the worst 
slash best cable news clip ever for showing how out of touch these cable news anchors are is the one with Don Lemon, uh, Wajahat Ali and Rick Wilson of the Lincoln Project. Um, Here, watch. Donald Trump couldn't find Ukraine on a map if you had the letter U and a picture of an actual physical crane (laughs) next to it. He knows that this is, you know, an an administration defined by ignorance of the world. And so that's partly him playing to their base and playing to their audience. Uh, You know, the, the, the credulous boomer rube demo that backs Donald Trump. Um, that, that wants to think that 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 Donald Trump's a smart one, and they're oh, y'all, y'all y'all elitists are dumb. <laughs> you you elitists with your geography and your maps and your spelling, even though my your math and your reading, yeah, you're reading, you know, your geography, knowing other countries, sipping your latte, <laughs> all those lines on the map. <laughs> <laughs> Only them elitists know where Ukraine is. I, I find that clip disgusting. I just, it makes my stomach um, You turn. know, imagine if they had done that in a, you know, one of the things that frustrates me is uh, I, I write about the back row, which I call as people without a high school education or without a college education. That's a lot of minorities. That's a lot of African-Americans. And so when you're mocking the back row, you're mocking minorities, which, you, which of course they wouldn't do on CNN, but you're allowed to mock the, 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 the working class whites. You know, you're allowed to make fun of them, but it's just so offensive at so many levels. You know, the thing is, the other thing that's kind of fascinating to me um, is when I when I saw that clip, it was just this idea that we all should be focused on the news all the time. You know, one of the things that I try to write about a lot is how a lot of a lot of people, we in the political class, and I, I put I use we because that's me and certainly you. Yeah, we, we our job is news. Our job is politics. That's not how people approach the news and politics. They, you know, like, like I said, the, the largest block voting block in the country is, is none is, is none of the above people who don't vote, yeah. because quite honestly, you know, people people have lives. They, they don't live and die by what, um, you know, what Don Lemon says or what um, or what um, the president even says. Um, and, and, and I quite honestly, I'll defend that. Um, I mean, we shouldn't yeah. expect people to have to spend all their like, why do we we're the weird ones who, who obsess over um, the news and, and all the time. And people just want to live their lives, man. They want to focus on their family. They want to focus on their church, their con- the community. They want to focus on their on, you know, on being a decent father or being a, a you know, having a running the best hair salon. They don't want to just focus on politics all the time. It's so true. And that's why if you find yourself on the political stage or on the news stage, you know, you get into one of these more prominent posts in terms of visibility. It's so important to maintain your friendships and your relationships with people who are not of that world, who can keep you grounded, who can remind you of what's important, who I just, you know, is one of the things where I, I, I feel like I've always made this a priority in my own life because I come from a middle class background and I have all the things that the back row has in my family, you know, that you write about. Like we, we definitely have in my family had addiction and had alcoholism and had bankruptcies and had all this stuff. And it's important to to remind yourself that not everybody is obsessed with AOC's latest tweet, right? That shit doesn't matter. Twitter does not matter to the average person, even a little. You know, it's so funny because what I, I, 
for the for the listeners who don't know exactly what I spent a lot of time in writing about addiction. Uh, I spent a lot of time in crack houses, um, not using, but um, documenting people who use. I spent a lot of time in. I'm, I'm a white guy, and I spent a lot of time in, in minority communities where I'm the only white person. I spent a lot of time in people who have a lot of problems and a lot of complications, and a lot of places where they're they're you know are stigmatized as having high crime. And I take pictures. I have a camera. I'm a photographer, and I've been in you know. I've been in situations where I'm, I'm, I, I'll tweet about what I'm doing because I'm, I also, I'm active on Twitter, like a lot of people in the front row. Mm-hmm. And people ask me, like, "Yo, what are you doing?" And I'm like, "Oh, I'm using Twitter." Like, what's that? <laughs> you know, it's amazing. like, it's great. Like, I, I can't tell you the number of people who like, you know, now Trump, Trump helped raise profile. People now know what Twitter is, but you know, one of the most disconcerting or jarring things for for the work I do is. To, to, to jump because I, I spend two two lives. I, I go around doing what I do, photographing and hanging out at McDonald's and Applebee's and all that. And then I then I jump on Twitter at night, and it's just so jarring. This I can't even begin to describe how different, how out of touch, um, the kind of you know credential class, the front row is, how we are with 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 quote normies with the back row. No, it's and, so true. And, 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 and it's just, and, and it's just, it's really shocking. And so sometimes I just go on Twitter and I just, go, I just want to tweet LOL because that's all I can I just look at the craziness. <laughs> I just like, oh, this is just absurd. This is not yes. what people care about. No, this people worry about putting value. food on their table, taking care of their kids, making sure the schools stay open, uh, especially now with an economy that's 7% inflated, right? Inflation's at 7%, a record over 40 years. They're not worried about whether uh, a biological woman should be allowed to play the part of a transgender, whatever. Whatever, you know, what the, whatever the latest freak out is on Twitter from Hollywood, what have you. Um, and yet you, you wouldn't know that if you just lived in sort of these more elite, in particular, left wing circles. But you know, the right wing gets sucked I will say that um, COVID is the case where um, everybody is impacted by COVID. So, you know, it's the case where the back row has strong opinions on it because it's because it's you can't you you can't hide from COVID policy. And so it's touched everybody. So it's, it's going to be a huge, huge issue in the politics going forward. Mm-hmm. It's uh, right now, according to the latest poll, it's the, the number two most important issue right after the economy. Um, economy, let's see, I have it in front of me. Let's see, uh, the Associated Press. 68% say the economy is their top priority, especially with these inflation numbers. And 37% say it's covid so and the third issue is immigration you know it's not like even racism and racial inequity which we hear a ton about these days and i think that's more wokeification than anything is only 15 percent. it's dropped by nine points uh climate the environment 21 percent, which is dropped by three points uh and i could go on but the number one by far is economy number two is covid and you've got a lot of interesting insights on COVID and how people figured it out, notwithstanding what they were being told. That's where I'll pick it up right after I squeeze in this quick break. Pleasure to have you here, Chris. Uh, really interesting discussion. And don't forget, folks, you can find The Megan Kelly Show live on Sirius XM Triumph Channel 111 every weekday at noon east. And the full video show and clips when you subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Megyn Kelly. If you prefer an audio podcast, subscribe and download on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast for free. There you will find our full archives with more than 230 shows. If you add a comment on the Apple, uh, when you subscribe on Apple, and then you can comment underneath, I will read it. I promise. I read them all this morning, all the new ones, and I really appreciate the feedback. Some of them are so eloquent and beautifully said, and I just it's great to hear from you guys. So please do it. 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Okay, Chris, so let's continue the discussion about how they figure things out, the back row, even without the Harvard education. Uh, these <laughs> folks, say they talk sense and they, they speak sense and they see sense. Uh, when they see it, they know it when they see it. And you talk about this, you, you've written about this uh, when it comes to COVID. And I think this is this is really, um, this is good. This is from one of your pieces called Among the Unvaccinated. And you're talking about how you've spent a lot of time among that subset of the population that's just not going to get vaccinated, period, end of report. You, you did. You're not saying you're one of it. You're just saying you, you, uh, you made an effort to understand them, <laughs> which what a shocker. And you write about how... Um, these people sort of came to their conclusions um, in part because the messaging was not trustworthy. It was all over the map. And you write, for example, what do you mean it didn't come from a lab? They got a goddamn covid lab right in the city. It started in. What do you mean my kids can't go to the skate park? It's outdoors. People may not be fully educated, but they've got common sense. That's it. Right. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know. You know, I'll use the term normies or back or what have you. I mean, they operate by focus, like common sense, experiential. Like, you know, it's kind of that midwit, wit, midwit meme. Like, you know, it's like, what are you fucking talking about? Like, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. how can you, you know, stop, stop your book smarts? Like, it's so fucking obvious what's going on here. And, you know, and over time, it became pretty clear to a lot of people that COVID policy was not only all over the map and confused, but it was directly beneficial to the front row. It, it was it was done. Everything about what we've done in COVID, around COVID, has been to a point where it has had the least harm to what the laptop generation, the front row, and has harmed the back row the most. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about from the early stages. You know, sheltering in place from a person who had you know, you know, a, a second home and four deep freezes to, you know, someone in the Bronx live in a 4-4 walk-up with three generations in one bathroom. Like, sheltering in place is very different things in that context. And then I was, you know, back then I was writing about, about the laundromat gap. It's like people in the political class don't realize that people use the laundromats. <laughs> you know, we don't have, a lot of people don't have, they, they, can't, they can't hide from people. They can't sit in their room and Zoom. Um, it's, not only can't they because their job won't allow it, but that's not how they operate. That's not how people in the back row operate. Community and one-on-one interaction is central to who they are. It's central to what they do and how they think and how they live. And it's central to how they actually see the world. And that's where the, that's where the, um, the common sense comes. You know, you, you, you learn from other people, you learn from interactions and you build a catalog of interactions. And it's pretty clear that COVID policy has 
you know, they've gotten the short end of the stick um, when it comes to COVID policy, but also they suffered the most in terms of the uh, deaths, you know, um, yeah. but also at the same time, they're also being asked to, you know, I think that the phrase I use in one of my pieces was, you know, you, 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 you have to go into the off, you keep on working at the Amazon warehouse, but you can't barbecue with your friends, you know, right. like, you know, it's just, it's so unjust and they know it. And so eventually you know, it's just it's like it, it, it became this thing where one of the ways to rebel against that was not to get vaccinated. Now, I happen to think that's a mistake. I think that's, you know, I, I, I'm vaccinated, I'm boosted. I think, uh, I think a lot of the political discourse around a vaccine is really sad. And I'm not saying that I, you know, I don't, I'm not, I'm not um, pro anti-vax, but I understand why people feel like they've been pushed in that corner. Um, and that's really frustrating and really sad that we've gotten to a place where it's a hill that some people feel they're forced to die on. And that's mm-hmm. sad. Mm-hmm. I know that's how I feel. I want them to know. I mean, I've got a lot of Republicans who watch our show and listen to our show. And I want I want them to know the vaccine actually is doing a great job. It's not perfect, but it's doing a great job at reducing the severity of covid for those who get it and greatly reducing the chances of death. So look at it like that. No, it's not going to prevent you from getting covid, but it really can make covid like a nothing for you if you do get it. It really can. So I know people it's gotten weird. People online talk about how like my blood's pure. You know, I haven't gotten the vaccine. My blood is pure. It's like it has nothing to do with purity of blood. It has to do with you living. You got to live. You got to live to make these arguments and raise your kids and be with your buddies and go to the bowling alley and go to the Applebee's. And as as much as they've politicized the vaccines on both sides, I do hope people see that I'm pro vaccine. I just I'm I'm anti mandate and I'm certainly anti anti anybody telling me what to do with my kids so I can understand these folks. One of my frustrations is what I try to get across in the piece is um, if you want to get people vaccinated, vaccine mandates is not the way to go. Yelling is not the way to go. Scolding is not the way to go. Laughing when somebody who's not vaccinated dies is not the way to go. It's only pushing people more into a corner. The way yeah. to go is to actually No, wait, hold that, hold that thought, because that's a good place to leave it before we squeeze in a break. And who exactly you need to convince if you want to get somebody to take that vax. That's where we'll pick it up with Chris next. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. So, Chris, the only person who can convince a vaccine hesitant or somebody who doesn't want to get the vaccine to take a vaccine is who? Is somebody in their community, somebody, you know, it can't be a talking head. It can't be a politician. It can't be, 
you know, a LeBron James. It can't be anybody like that. It has to be somebody who just, you know, is in the community, is part of the kind of basketball pickup team they play on or part of the, you know, go to the hair salon they go to. It has to be somebody who kind of just, you just have to basically, you know, family member who kind of just talks them, who, who knows them and talks people through in a, you know, in a non-political way, man. Just like, you know, just kind of just, hey, you know, I, I have these conversations all the time because I, I you know, I'm, I in places like that. And I just, you know, I, I basically try to be very polite and just say, Hey, you know, Hey, probably better. You get it. You know, it's, it's gonna, it's, it makes it, makes it, makes it less likely you die. <laughs> you know, right, um, right. And that's a good thing. You know? Well, and it's like, and, I mean, hopefully people are starting to feel a little bit more comfortable with it now that it's been out for so long. You know, I mean, there absolutely have been deaths and there have been complications from the vaccine, but they're, they're minuscule compared in number compared to the number that have had it without incident. I guess one of my frustrations about the whole COVID debate is I think, again, is another example of how the extremes can um, can dominate the conversation. I think that the, the normal the normal view, the bulk view is, is been, you know, hey, get the vaccine, um, get boosted if you're in a high high risk group. Um, and and move on, you know, and and because that's that's what <laughs> that's what the vaccines allow you to do um, is to is to move on. And, well, and, they and, should. And, <laughs> yes, um, and and that's kind of where most people are, and that's where you know, and you, you don't hear that view a lot because it's it's not um, you know because it, it's not it's not politically convenient. And the thing is, is um, it's just you know, people and people again. It's a common sense view. Is it, that doesn't mean there aren't going to still be deaths. It doesn't mean COVID is still not a, a big issue. It just means that the, the reality is that um, the bulk of the people want to live their lives and they have a vaccine that allows them to go on and move, live their lives um, and it, with, 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 a mo- with moderate to very, very low risk. And that's, and that's, that's where people are. And I think, it's, it, I think unless, unless the administration gets there, it's going to, I mean, I think there are, this administration is already toast. I think it's the 22 elections are going to completely crush the Democrats because, um, because COVID policy is, is impacts everybody. And so does inflation. Those are two things that, you know, that, that are, are here and, and working against the back row. So, but I think there's a chance that, you know, if, if the Biden administration were, were to, were to get some sensible COVID, you know, sensible thoughts on this and move on to where most normal people are, he, he, he could sur- survive, but I doubt he will. And so what is he doing? What is Joe Biden doing in the wake of that poll I just read in terms of priorities and what you just said? He's focused on voting rights. He wants to federalize elections, which is not even close to on the front page for, as you say, the back row. Yeah, you know, again, <laughs> news trickles down. It has to be a big event to trickle down. People, like, it, politics has to impact people for them to care about it. And COVID and inflation has impact people. And, you, you know, I'm really tired. I'm really tired of the front row. Well, actually, inflation. Well, actually, well, actually. You know what? Inflation is fucking annoying. It's hurting people. <laughs> it's impacting their lives. It's messing up their world. And they don't like it. So, you know, they're going to vote. They're going to vote whoever's in power out if there's inflation. They're going to vote whoever's in power out if COVID continues to linger and COVID continues to impact their lives. And it impacts 
if they can send their kids to school, it impacts if they can go into a mall, it impacts, you know, if they can have the back you barbecue, et cetera, et cetera. And those two things are going to, I don't think there's anything Biden can do at this point. I think is, I mean, I think is, I think the 22 elections, the Dems are toast because, mm-hmm. you know, again, it's not, people think about politics. You can't unleash, you know, you, you can't give five speeches at Georgetown or, or Harvard, and that's not going to change. People don't care. It's what's impacting their life. And right now, COVID and inflation are impacting their life. So, you know. Well, and, and on inflation, his policy has been to just sort of tell us not to believe our lying eyes. You know, it's transitory. It's transitory. No, it's not bad. And then the press is writing like, well, you should shut up. You're mad. You can't get a Peloton right now. Oh, my God. That's not well, that's not who's being affected by inflation. The rich people are not the ones who are really impacted by inflation, the ones buying Pelotons, right? It's the people who have to watch it very carefully when they have to go buy their groceries every week. They're worried they're not going to be able to make their car payment. I understand. The, I have these people in my family. I understand this. Um, I that's mean, not, you know, that's like, not the right group. You, you know, <laughs> going go into the TNA and and your your pump bill is now forty instead of thirty thirty is a big deal, man. <laughs> you know, like like, and so they, you, they can't you be can't, told again, that it's a lie. You can't well actually inflation. You can't go well actually because you know again it's the, it's people see through the shit. They see through the 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 bullshit, and it's just like it's common sense, man. Inflation is bad, like, and so right. it, it impacts them, and so they don't want it, and so they're going to throw it out whoever is responsible for it. And Biden's the president, so he's responsible for it. Mm-hmm. I also think these vaccine mandates are are not you know not they're not going to bode well for folks in the back row when it comes to voting time because a lot of these folks are more working class folks who are getting swept up into this vaccine mandate and they don't want to have to lose their job if they don't want to get it you know we've seen that too let me let me shift gears and just ask you a little bit about what i kicked it off with because i do think some of the press and the way they're going with our political narratives it really makes me think they're more out of touch than ever chris i mean that that new york times piece suggesting that what we need the answer to the problem right now is a split ticket of joe biden and liz cheney i mean it's obviously like that that's insane so liz, that's clearly written by a democrat was it who was it was it tom friedman who was it wrote it um it was tom friedman mm-hmm. Uh, So obviously written by a a Democrat, somebody who doesn't understand the right because the right hates Liz Cheney. I'm sorry, but they do. That's a reality. Only the left likes Liz Cheney at this point because she's been very condemned. She's been quick to condemn Trump and Republicans who believe his story about the election and so on. I actually had my team pull the numbers for me just so I could see. Um, Overall, only 7% of Americans, never mind Republicans, have a favorable, very favorable view of Liz. Um, and they say uh, amongst Republicans, CBS poll, 69% say she is not on message with our party. So nobody like, did, what do you want? That's not the answer. And then you got Doug well, showing I, who I, I love. Just, I just, when I, when I saw that, when I saw that headline, all I could think of is remember what the elites wanted the 2016 election to be. They wanted it to be Hillary versus Jeb, you know, yeah, like. You know, I, I actually said Tom Friedman got it wrong. He he was shooting for the Hillary versus Jeb energy. That's what he should have proposed. Oh um, like, I mean, it's just it's it's just it's laughable at this point. Like, you know, it's like it's kind of the it's you know Tom Friedman is a perfect Davos kid. Like, you know, it's like he's just he's like 
he's so out of touch. I mean, the only time he, again, it's like, it's that joke. The only time he ever tells a story about a, a real person is it's their cat, his cab driver. Like, you know, <laughs> like he doesn't know anybody else. I mean, it's just, it's so and true. like, check. It, they're, they're, I mean, it's like this generation of playing, they're playing like sim politics, you know, they're just like, they're sitting in their little room in front of their computer, scared of normal people. So they can't talk to them playing, coming up with fantasy politics like, you know, sure, you, you Biden versus Cheney, <laughs> you know, you, you, you want to see, see Trump goes. reelected? Yeah. By the way, one of the points you raised, I wanted to I wanted to ask you about because you're talking about the back row and covid policy and so on. My experience with the back row is they don't scare easy. And I do think that explains some of the difference in attitude between them and those so-called front row when it comes to covid. Like they're a they're not terrified about losing their lives and B they're used to taking risk and having some negative consequences and they realize it, it tends to end fine. Yeah, I, I think I think the big issue is that um, they're, they're better judges of uh, risk assessment than people realize because they have to do that. I mean, they they that's their lies, the risk assessment. Um, you know, you you and they understand the consequences of a bad action because it's they've had bad actions and they they, they suffer the consequences more. You know, it's kind of the sheltered versus unsheltered meal. And the other thing is like you know. They, what what is what a lot of people in the in the, the elites are scared to admit or won't admit is that they kind of like the sheltering in place. They kind of like the the um, the restrictions. Um, yep. They're not you know that it it make it's comfortable for them um, because they you know and it's not necessarily the restrictions are not comfortable for the back row. Mm-hmm. So um, so you it's, it's convenient. It, there was a quote from Rose Kennedy, you know, the matriarch of the Kennedy family, mm-hmm. the mother of. John F. Kennedy and Robert Kennedy and all that crew. And it it was um, better a broken bone than a bro- broken spirit. You know, so she let her kids take big risks. And of course, they did come back to both help and haunt those children. But that's the way life goes. But I, I feel I feel like these people who want to shelter in place all the time and want the most restrictive policies and are terrified of getting a little virus and what and like want to control everybody else's behavior. They're in the they're they have broken spirits. They didn't take enough risks. They don't understand. You can break a bone and you, it will heal and you'll be fine. I mean, the 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 degree people are going to me, to me, the most frustrating thing is in this whole thing is they don't they haven't factored in in their calculations. And that's what it is. It's calculations for the, the, the people. How important human on human interaction is for people how how central community is so one of the things i write about in my book is the central role of mcdonald's and what i what what, what i keep on showing is that mcdonald's are community centers and they're community centers because think about that mcdonald's are made our fast food franchises they're meant for a quick immediate transactions but their community centers tells you how much people want community people need to be around other people like you can't you can't play this game of policy where you build a spreadsheet and say this this is more efficient this is this saves x lives so therefore let's do it you're not calculating the cost of uh people being removed from people like you know the stories i've heard mm. of people especially dur- during the early lockdown phases of things that were denied of people and how how impactful that's been and i will say and this will probably anger some people on the right that i think a lot of the increase in the crime that we've had in 2020 and 2021 is due to the fact that a lot of children are out of school, especially working class, poorer kids, where a lot of the crime is. 
are they're, they're denied the structure of, of schools and they're denied being with their friends and they're denied being in communities. And it was, it, it, it leads to depression, um, boredom, um, bad behavior. And so I don't think, I really worry like in five, six years, we'll, we'll, we'll won't fully understand until then the full cost that we've, we've done, especially to teens and children, when we've basically denied people the ability, the ease of, of getting together. Yeah. I, I think the right would agree with you on that, Chris. I, I think, I think all of America is starting to realize that the, the, consequences of shutting schools are catastrophic. I mean, they're beyond. And even I have been so outspoken about, I, I can't stand the masks. Um, I I'll am, just add one. Uh, yeah, one I'm very, I know I'm please. very lucky to be at a school that's open. Yeah, go ahead. One quick thing is um, part of the reason that recent schools are closing is because of teachers are getting ill. So um, I myself recently signed up to be a substitute teacher. Um, nice. I haven't gotten I haven't got called yet. Um, I haven't, my application went in like three weeks ago, but a teacher, you know, if, if, if people out there are actually concerned about school closing, some of it is due to the fact that staff shortages, um, and sure, you, have to, you can't uh, so go in like COVID spreading like wildfire right now. And you can't go in for at least five days if you've got it and blah, blah, blah. It's like, we got to think of a different way for these teachers. Cause you know, now that COVID for most people is basically a cold, we can't start, can't keep making them stay at home every day and expect society to function. But I, you know, someone called me out when I when I was yelling about school closings, and they, and they said, "Well, put your money where your mouth is." And he, he, that person was right, so I signed up to be a substitute teacher because I should That's be awesome. willing. If I'm calling out saying school closings are bad, I should be willing to go in and teach. Um, that's so I amazing. Would tell other people that, you know, that's, that's one, one thing to think about doing is, can is, you just is do it? Out. Can you just, can you can just like sign up to be a substitute teacher? Uh, like, I, I haven't got, I haven't, I put the application in. I have, <laughs> I, that was two weeks ago. I haven't got called back, but they've, they have re, 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 I happen to have a PhD. So, you know, um, uh, yeah, um, that helps. Yeah, Doctor. that helps. Um, but, but, um, they, they do, they do have, re, they have relaxed the, the, um, the, the, the um, requirements program. to become a substitute teacher. Yeah, they still do have the box on there that makes you prove that you're a Democrat, however. So you could get in, but I could not. <laughs> they did not have that box. Well, that's awesome. Chris, I would love to have you back and continue this discussion. You're fascinating. Really, really appreciate all the great work you've been doing. All right. Well, thank you very much for having me again. Yeah, all the best. Wow. All right. Coming up, we are going to spend the last block of our show looking into the future and the future that's already here. Our next guest is going to talk to you about what your identity is going to look like in this new digital era and how a face scan might be able to show you what age you'll be when you die, what diseases you're likely to get, uh, and more. Uh, you do not want to miss futurist Tracy Follows. She's here next. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. So what does our future look like? Deep fakes? The metaverse? Get ready because the future's here. Joining me now is futurist, CEO of Future Made, and author of the book The Future of You. 
can your identity survive 21st century technology? Tracy follows. Tracy, so good to have you here. So I'm fascinated by all of this, right? Like where it's going. And let me just start broadly because this is your area of expertise. When you think about what's coming 10 years down the line, you know, 15 years down the line, what what gets you most excited, scared or intrigued? Um, all of it, I guess. Um, and thank you for having me here today. Um, yeah, all, all of it. I mean, there are some really big trends. Obviously, we've talked about globalization for a long time. Um, we've had uh, technology, digital technology, so digitization. We've got increasing feminization. But I think the thing that really intrigued me was how we think about ourselves in the future, how we represent ourselves, how we treat ourselves um, biologically, psychologically. And I came to the conclusion that actually we're heading towards a future where the psychology of the self and the biology of the self are, are really going to be now joined by another dimension, I suppose, which is the technology of the self. And so as we head down, as you say, into the next, next 10 years, um, I can very well see us getting to 2030 and needing something like, I don't know, a digital bill of rights because we're using so much technology, not just externally, but internally to, to the self now. And actually, mm -hmm. we need to have probably more rights over that than, um, than we, will, <laughs> we seem to have at the moment even. Yes. Okay. So speaking of putting things inside of you in terms of technology, there's wearable tech now, and there's a TikToker mm -hmm. who goes by the name of Chip Girl, um, who's a great example of this. And you, 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 um, I, you, you just touched on it. This woman, she's got 2.6 million followers. She makes videos about her techie life and she and her husband have RFID chips implanted in their hands to make their home accessible only to them. We have a clip of her. This is Soundbite 9. I call myself Chip Girl because I have an RFID chip inside of my hand that unlocks things around our house. Today, somebody asked me what I can open with my hand. So I'm going to show you. This is also a door that it opens. We've got another door that it opens. It also opens our bedroom door, as well as our office, as well as the drawers in our office. This is our nightstand, which can also be opened with a chip. Our closet is chipped. And this is really cool. We can chip all of the doors. Look, look at it. He can even lock up our towels. See? What the? So chip locked my makeup room. Chip guy has an even cooler chip. He's got a dual chip and he can hold information like a website or a social media page. My hand can also open every door in my house. I just grab the handle and turn it. Why is this necessary? Well, clearly this is the new normal. Um, I think this isn't necessary. So I do know somebody with a chip like that, uh, my friend Nick. Um, I think, you know, it's an experiment. We always want to upgrade our bodies. Well, some of us do, um, and to upgrade our cognition. And I think that's being, um, I think that's being applauded in, in some areas. Obviously, it gives you a story to tell about yourself in social media, which is increasingly important mm. when it comes to the representation of the self, of course, to sort of invent oneself and reinvent oneself in these new media. But also, I think people are just curious and they want to know what this technology will do. Um, I did interview people and, and talk to people in the book who are absolutely um, clear that they think that at some point in the future, we'll be getting these sort of upgrades, if you like, over time. And that as humans, a lot of us will want these upgrades. And this is, the, this is what people, people think, think is going to happen to you, is going to happen if you take the vaccine. Mm -hmm. Some people think that that Bill Gates is putting one of those chips in you. 
it's not well, true. exactly, uh, exactly that. So there are many people who are very enthusiastic about it, and many people who are incredibly re- reticent about it and are worried and, and quite terrified. It all comes down to this idea of how much autonomy do you have over this technology? Do you have the rights to use it in the way you want to use it and have the control over your own data? So mm. if it's user centric. Or does a technology platform, the provider, the service that offers this you, do, do, do they have the control over it? And I think that's pretty much what it comes down well, to. What about that? Because I, I, I read um, that you you tried this sort of biomarker. Uh, that's how it was described. It's something that scans your face and analyzes and rates your face according to age, beauty, gender, emotional wow. state, and life expectancy. It's going to tell you how beautiful you are, what your main emotional state is, and how long you're going to live. What is this thing? Well, I think that this was a, a project. It's on my blog, but this was a project that's been rolled out as um, it's a research project, and I think it had European, like EU funding. But it is fascinating. Obviously, you hold your phone up, and it basically reads you. I mean, this this it's is like the an whole app. Thing. Yeah, it is an app, um, oh. and it's pretty scary because what it does. I mean, I don't want to spoil it for you, but as you go through it, it then tells you towards the end some of the things that it that you didn't know it was kind of testing you for and checking oh. you for. Oh yeah, don't tell us. No, don't tell you. What's the um, name of the app? Oh, I can't remember what it oh. is now. Oh, we got to oh. find out. Oh, I'll oh. tell you. You can put it in the notes. But um, right, yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, this is exactly it. But this is we are becoming machine readable. And so whether it's RFID tags or it's an app or it's logging into Facebook, wherever it might be. And of course, this will be exacerbated because we'll be in a sort of immersive 3D um, uh, media when we're in the metaverse. These are all important things that I think we should be thinking about. What regulations do we want? What ethics do we want? what privacy what autonomy do we want and um at the moment yeah like what the public aren't engaged in in any of this even just like a retina scan it's like well who's going to have access to it and who else could use it and where could it be you know used against me um i read on this in the same report about you and taking this test it said your dominant expression was sad what yes (laughs) how long did you stare at it for and what are you supposed to do like grin like a moron while you're looking at your phone don't th- I think it's because I was in my pajamas doing it. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, it's said I said, and quite frankly, it, um, when it came back with my age, it was older than I am. I was not happy. Um, so, <laughs> oh, it it said you look older than you actually are. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Oh no! And it told yeah, you yeah, you, I, you were going to live to be 81. I, how did you feel about that? Yeah. Good or bad? Um, well, you know, this is an interesting thing because I've been looking at this idea of you know predicting longevity or mortality. Because increasingly, we're getting to the point where people want to use biomarkers, so data, um, but biomarkers to to work out how healthy we are. So, for example, we've known for a long time that whatever our cholesterol levels are might be an indication to whether we might suffer heart disease or something. Well, there's a whole plethora of these biomarkers now. And increasingly, people are kind of saying, well, actually, if you have enough of these biomarkers, then you don't necessarily have to have, um, we don't need to talk about lifespan in, in a chronological age. We can talk about health span. And increasingly, I'm reading lots of reports about how, you know, two 70-year-olds, if you like, um, one healthy and one less healthy, are going to be treated in, in very different ways, not just by insurance companies, but by, by anyone, really. And we can mm. get to this point where, you know, we are so tracked, or we're tracking ourselves, as we saw in your video, that actually, you know, we are wanting to get um, a feedback 
all the time on, you know, well, how healthy am I? How many years left have I got? How many, like, uh, right. what might I, what might I um, die of? What, what might I survive? You know, I don't even know if I do it. I, I didn't, I don't want to get that 23 and me sort of DNA. Like I might do like the background thing, but not to know, they'll tell you yeah. like, these are the latent diseases that could come out in you. Like, I'm not sure I want to know. And I definitely don't want somebody looking at me telling me what age I'm going to die, though. I don't think this app can actually do that, but it might be just no, fun I for it to try. Okay. My team tells me the app is called how normal am I available at oh, Sherpa, right. S-H-E-R-P-A mm-hmm. dot E-D-U. So it could be fun for, you know, just to check out for, for kicks, but l- let's talk about one area in which like the future is here and it's scary. And that is deep fakes. As mm-hmm. a newswoman, these terrify me. I mean, I, mm-hmm. It's not too long in the future that everything we run, we're going to have to ask ourselves, is that the actual Rochelle Walensky, Anthony Fauci, Joe Biden, or is that a deep fake? The, the, I have two that my team put together to show the audience and, and people who are listening to this. Go check out our YouTube. Uh, we posted about two hours after the show ends. YouTube.com slash Megan Kelly, because you've got to see these examples. One I've seen, one I haven't. Uh, the first is Richard Nixon. So apparently they released a transcript recently of the speech Richard Nixon was going to give if Apollo 11 um, didn't end well, if if everybody died. And it was a paper transcript. He never, thank God, had to deliver that speech. But they put together a deep fake showing him allegedly doing it, you know, quote him allegedly doing it. And here it is. Part of it. Good evening, my fellow Americans. Fates has ordained that the men who went to the moon to explore in peace will stay on the moon to rest in peace. For every human being who looks up at the moon in the nights to come will know that there is some corner of another world that is forever mankind. So that never happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like we have to remind ourselves that. That looks like it happened, but it didn't yeah. happen. It's a deep fake. It reminds me of the um, the one that the Times put together of JFK delivering his speech that he would have given in Dallas. So they managed to put that the, the voice fakery together. Um, but there are many companies working on this. So voice deep fakes, as we might might think of it, um, that are building these interactive AI that are taking all of these snippets from people's speeches or conversations or appearances, logging it, recording it um, in anticipation of when that person is no longer alive, they'll still be able to create a conversation and create a language and get the correct intonation so that there is some sense of, um, let's call it the digital afterlife. So if somebody passes, um, then you can still have a conversation with them. I mean, there are so many apps now doing this and quite a lot of services. Who thinks of the responses? A, is it, it yeah, you know, it's sophisticated. How, yeah, but like I can see how they could fake, you know, okay, read the Richard Nixon speech, but how do they have somebody have a conversation with you? I mean, somebody has to do the thinking in terms of responses. Yeah, and that's what the AI does because it's so sophisticated you can do that. There's a company called Hereafter AI um, the guy lost his father, but before he did, because he knew he was terminally ill, he recorded a lot of the conversations so that when he passed, he could still have these conversations. Now, one knows they're not real, of course, um, but in terms of having some value, it turns out that it's of some comfort to some people um, and that they can feel that somebody's still with them and around. 
Well, it's kind of like Kim Kardashian had that birthday party and Kanye West, when they were still together, had a hologram of her dead dad, yeah. um, Robert Kardashian, show up and with a message, which n- no, no, thank you. I don't I would not want that. Um, OK, two more on this front, because we do have the voice as well. This Adobe voice Photoshop. It was so realistic. They didn't release it because um, they, they knew it could be misused. I'll get to that in one second, but I'm dying to see my team has a one of me, a deep fake of me from the movie Snow White and the Huntsman, which I haven't yet seen. We will see it together now. Here we go. Oh, it's just showing my my face. <laughs> oh, that's so weird. Oh, well, this version of me is much more attractive than the real deal. <laughs> Whoever played Snow White and, and the Huntsman was a very good looking had a very good looking body. Um, that one I didn't find as realistic. OK, it's fine. They kind of just smushed my face into this body. But let's listen to the Adobe voice Photoshop where they you set it up, Tracy, because apparently they it, like this technology is so good. They realized they could they could never release it to the public. It would be misused. I don't think I've seen this one, actually. Oh, you haven't. OK, then then oh, let's just uh, listen let, let's to it together. On it. Let's have a look at it. Yeah. Here we go. Introducing Project Vocal. Project Vocal allows you to edit speech in text. So let's bring it up. Um, so I'll just load this audio piece into uh, Vocal. Uh, I jumped out of the bed and, um, and uh, uh, I kissed my dogs and my wife in that order. <laughs> yeah, so how about we uh, mess with uh, who he actually kissed? And here we go. And uh, uh, I kissed Jordan and my dogs. <laughs> Well, you, you're a witch. <laughs> we can actually type small phrases. So let's say, and play back. And uh, uh, I kissed Jordan three times. <laughs> so Jordan Peele is, is uh, one of the guys involved there. So those phrases were never uttered by the speaker. They were made up by mm-hmm. the computer and they sound exactly the same. Mm-hmm. I think this could be misused, not only the, the, the voice, but the, the visual and the deep fake in general in ways that forget news people have to deal with. This could lead to wars. This could be, I mean, it could be potentially catastrophic. Oh, it could be. And first off, it will become a massive industry. Um, and then obviously it can be weaponized, as you, as you quite rightly point out, and, and it is to some extent already. Um, there's a thought that we will have to have some kind of digital forensics around this, some tools, because we're not we're not going to be able to tell the difference between the real and the fake ourselves. It's going to pass us by. We can't. We 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 just can't do that as humans. But we will need some sort of um, algorithmic tools. We'll need some sort of AI as an assistive service, probably, to try and detect what's real and what's fake. But of course, then you're becoming very, very dependent upon more and more machine learning, more and more AI and and not making these decisions or these judgments oneself because one can't. Well, that's what worries me. So I I like technology. You know, I feel like it's exciting. And for the most part, it it can enhance your life. But as with the iPhone, I I tend to love it and hate it in equal degrees. So it it can the the technology can be used against us. And I was thinking about it when I was looking at um, the uh, this it's the Apple AirTag. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is something where you can 
you can use it to track every movement that you make. So if you don't want to lose your keys or your dog or your wallet, you could put an Apple ID tag on it. But this has already potentially been used, I guess, uh, by stalkers against thieves. victims, yeah. right? Thieves, mm-hmm. right? So there's, you know, what? How do we reconcile that conflict? We have to get more engaged in this, and people need to understand some of this technology better, or certainly its implications. Um, I think one of the things that's happening a lot with the internet is it's incredibly, obviously, it's connected and it's making us all interconnected, but it's pushing us all together to behave in a certain way together and really creating a, a collectivism. And that is in turn creating a group think. And anybody who has a dissenting um, voice or a different opinion. Um, isn't kind of <laughs> going along with um, this co- this collectivism. And what I'm trying to say is it's very, it's very important that we have our individual identity and autonomy over our identity. So if we feel some of these technologies are sacrificing that, and I think with some of the stuff you've just been talking about, like deep fakes or even tracking or surveillance, you know, it can be that we then succumb to this technology that then has become so powerful or has a sense of control over us rather than us controlling it. And there's no other way around it other than us trying to make ourselves more cognizant of it, more aware of it and understand the implications and bring that to the debate and the discussion. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that interests me about it is promotion of longevity, right? I mean, if mm-hmm. if they can use tech to extend our lifespan, you know, the pill that makes you age slower, or maybe that's more medicine and not tech, but they are, this is a tech thing. And it's, it's a piece of the futuristic business, extending our longevity. So what's happening there? And is there any reason for, you know, celebration? Um, Well, I think um, there's a certain set of people who are looking at that. It's usually billionaires, isn't it, (laughs) who want to um, extend their life. Um, I think it's probably because it's the only thing they can't overcome. I mean, with Mm. with so much wealth, you can overcome so many other barriers and obstacles in life. But, you know, Mm. death is going to get us all. Um, Great equalizer. Yeah, exactly. Death and taxes, although not taxes anymore. Just death. Um, (laughs) So um, I think this is this is why they're looking at longevity. And there's a real resurgence in the likes of um, cryogenics. So um, the ability to freeze oneself um, or even just freeze one's um, <laughs> um, head, basically, it's your brain. if it's not the whole body. And then hope that there's going to be a sophisticated technology um, that can revive one. And there's an awful lot of investment going into both, as you say, the longevity science, trying to slow down the degradation of our, our cells and, our, and, and the aging of the body, and also this idea of reviving us um, after we are sort of dead. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of work going on in, uh, in Berlin at Biostasis. Um, so, yeah, so we seem to be... Um, we seem to be... We, we want to keep our identity going as long as possible. I think that's I what it is. We, some do. I mean, I definitely yeah, would like to live longer, but I don't I don't just want to, you know, I don't definitely don't want to be frozen and brought back. That would be very scary. I don't want to. Can you imagine somebody like George Washington being brought back in today's day and age? He'd be, be terrifying. Well, this is one of the things, actually, because when when you die, of course, you 
you are handed over as human remains and you lose your identity. It's not like you can come back. You have lost your identity then. So who are you coming back as? <laughs> and who Good are point. your friends and where do you get a job? Um, you know, there are some practical considerations. Yeah. And what makes you you, right? Like what makes you you? Is it just what's inside this human frame or is it the time frame in which you live and the people you surround yourself with and the sum of your, in my case now, 51 years experience? Exactly. And that's a very Buddhist way of thinking about it. You you only are you really towards the end of one's life because you are the sum of all of your experiences and interactions with everyone you've ever known. Yeah. Maybe I'm Buddhist. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm kind of are. into Buddhism when I hear about it. Um, okay, so I want to talk about 23andMe for just one second because I do think that's a fascinating concept. And I know some people who have gotten the health tracking done where it's like they say you've got it's not like, I don't know if you could call it a latent disease, but they can say you're more prone mm -hmm. to get this disease. And predisposition. That, you know, predisposition, exactly. So how far has that technology come since, um, since it was unleashed? I think it's probably gone a lot further than we, <clears throat> we know, um, certainly that I know. Um, but I, I did my own DNA testing because I did it because I wanted some, um, some sort of functional nutrition and I did that. And I felt that was fine. And I checked out the company when I did it, that uh, I understood their, their privacy around their data, data principles and, and policies. Um, but I think a lot of this sort of biological data, um, which is really valuable now, I mean, it's so valuable to companies. And let's think about it, there's more data in the, in the biological world than there is anywhere, really, um, that, they, that we don't really know what's happening with this data. Um, in the UK, there was quite an uproar when um, we found out, we were told by the government that our GP data was going to be given to third parties for research. Gen what's GP and data? The general practitioners, so our doctors. So the, our patient records, our patient data was going to be shared with third parties for research what? purposes. What? Yeah. And people were in uproar. It's now gone back into consultation because people just did not understand that this has gone this far. Um, so it is now in consultation, as I understand. But one of the interesting things about this is that to the, my point about the collectivism as being a good thing and individuality and in, identity, personal identity being a bad thing or a selfish thing. What we're seeing is this um, mantra now and a narrative about the solidarity approach for biological data. Mm. So we heard it around COVID and we're hearing it around other things and it equates quite well with the um, the, uh, the World Economic Forum's report on shaping the Internet of Bodies, that there is somehow some sense of um, common purpose and, um, and community spirit to make one's personal biological um, data um, ready and available to be used in the public forum for the public good. Now, I can see all the advantages of that, and there are indeed advantages of it, of course, in research particularly, but I think there's definitely a pressure to, to give over more and more and more biological data without really thinking it through. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, the COVID passport um, uh, area is, is just a glimpse of, of what's to come there. That's right, because people are worried. I mean, there was a proposal not, not long ago, just this week, I think, in the news from um, Dr. Ezekiel Emanuel, who's the brother of Rahm Emanuel, former Obama mm. chief of staff and mayor of Chicago. But Zeke is a big time medical guy, and he and some others issued these um, papers, and they were talking about some sort of medical registry or some, some roving medical squad that might sort of keep track of your medical information. And it's 
it's going to be electronic. I mean, I don't know that it's going to happen, but if it does, it will be electronic and they will know a lot more about you than just whether you've gotten the COVID vaccine. Then, you know, you you have to worry somebody like Zeke Emanuel. He doesn't think you should live past 75, that we should be extending people's lives past that point because he thinks you're kind of kind of out of gas at that point. As far as Zeke says, well, I don't want him to know what's in my medical profile. What if I need a lung transplant? Zeke says I can't have it because I'm 74. Right. Like, I don't know. I just I realize they already make these decisions every day. But I I think a lot of people don't want to give any more info to the government in particular than they already have. Let me switch to something else, because I do. I want to ask you broad brush. The, the dumb but fun questions. When you look ahead to the future, you know, you when we were kids uh, back in the 1970s, we used to watch the Jetsons and we saw Judy Jetson mm-hmm. talking on the phone, quote unquote, quote unquote phone with video. And you thought, oh, that's so cool. Like, imagine if you're talking on the phone, you can actually see the other person. Well, th- of course, we do that every day now, thanks to the iPhone. Yep. Our kids really don't know any other way. They don't even understand really the landline. Um, you watch something like, uh, the back to the future, you know, which was, I think in 1985, they had this hovering skateboard. Well, we have that, we have it on land and we have it on water. We, so I, I wonder what you think the cool new tools we might be using in the near or long term might be. Is there anything that yeah, virtual reality, you know, glasses, what is it? Yeah, I mean, yes, audio, visual, virtual reality or augmented extended reality glasses, they're coming, they're already in the pipeline. But actually, what's more interesting is contact lenses. So the companies that are working on the contact lenses that can give you the sort of virtual, sorry, augmented reality overlay onto the uh, physical world through um through some really sophisticated contact lenses. I mean, you, one may or may not want to want to use that sort of thing, but I think one of the things I'm most interested in is how the smartphone or the device that you were just talking about disappears um, so that we have more connected clothing and we have things like really innovative um, shape-shifting materials so that anything can portray imagery and anything can be connected. So I don't need my smartphone. I could just have a gesture around my jacket or something like that. And that allows me to call someone or talk to somebody in a sort what? of ambient context. So, yeah, so moving to sort of ambient computing and spatial computing, where the actual devices and the hardware sort of disintegrate, they, they move away and the communication happens, you know, ambiently. How would you do, you know, games, right? I have a 12, 10 and eight year old, they like to do games on an iPhone. You think that can move into your jacket sleeve? I mean, how? how oh, yeah, how definitely. That so that I mean, that's sort of happening already with virtual reality. So that um, if you're doing body scans, it's as you move your body, that's you in the virtual reality game moving um, it, it kind of physically in the in the immersive environment. So that's kind of happening. And also there's a layer of biofeedback on that. So it's always, to your point about surveilling us and our body and our physicality, there's always a feedback loop with the data going from our body. It's being measured. It's um, OBS are being measured, if you like, and it's feeding back um, into how you're behaving and how you need to behave and how you might change. And one of those sorts of things will be very interesting for the future of training and learning. Wow. I can't imagine walking around with contacts in that augmented my reality, uh, though I think it would have been very useful for me during my 14 years of cable news. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's always tomorrow. Tracy Follows, you're fascinating. Thank you so much for all the good information. Oh, thanks for having me. All right. And don't forget, her book is The Future of You. 
Marco Rubio. Senator Marco Rubio is here tomorrow. First time on the show. Don't miss that. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.